y'all? My name is Carl. Hey, what's up? I'm Jake. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Pro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We just deeply appreciate anyone who's listening out there. Um, today we have a guest, our first time actually, who will be joining us for our discussion. Say hi to the people's Alex. Hello, everybody. We'll get to know Alex a little later in the episode when we interview him more directly. But for now, the three of us are going to talk about men dominating nature. And before we get into it, Jake, I got to I gotta apologize to everyone here. I'm going to be coughing up a storm. I'm a little sick. So for a while now, actually, um, and Alex and I kind of go back a little bit in terms of talking about how men associate with nature. But I've seen a ton of like commercials and ads and other media sort of targeted toward men where there seems to be like some random references to nature or like it's a Dr. Pepper commercial, a drinking commercial of dudes just like being rugged in the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like even like beer commercials, men camping together and like have a beer or yeah, I've seen it too. And I guess sometimes I don't like bring that association together of like men and nature and like being adventurous. So something that I've been looking at as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I think I understand sort of directly the connection there, right? Like maybe the intentional message is like men like to be outside. Men like to be like by themselves where men can be men. You know what I mean? Um, And so I wonder then what are the implicit messages around that? Um, And I'm sure Alex is going to hear and kind of bring the knowledge for us. But, you know, Alex, I was wondering what some of your thoughts were. Yeah, for sure. Um, Starting out with the group of men in the movement, you know, was for me, I took a lot of time to think about this concept. One of our first activities was looking at some of the advertising that Carl and Jake were just talking about. And what does it look like? You know, it's often a burly man with a beard in in the ad. And I'm a burly man kind of with a beard. And so it's <laughs> like, wow, this is hitting home for me. Um, and I took an interest in it and started doing some research. So I was hoping to talk about some of that today. And I think about some of the values that I grew up with, some of the things that my, I guess, dad taught me. Um, like we would go camping all the time. We would go hiking all the time. There's always a sort of like encouragement and like, come on, Carl, you can do it. Get to the top of the mountain, right? Like what's the point of even going hiking if you can't make it to the top? I don't know if the word conquered ever came into the lexicon around that, but like it's definitely a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment to get to the summit of like a 14er, for example, which is incredibly popular in Colorado specifically. So maybe this is a conversation that's super relevant to like the region. Yeah, for sure. So where I get into it is that obsession with 14ers, you know, I'm on my list. I'm trying to climb them. I've done 44 at this point. And so it's something I think about. I'm out there taking risk and I'm going to be talking a lot about what those risks mean in terms of my masculinity. Um, but where I started my research was definitely, you know, in the books. So the first book I hit was this one called Imperial Ascent. It's called Mountaineering, Masculinity, Masculinity and Empire. And it's by Peter Byers, and written in 2003. So basically the work is kind of tracking through who climbed mountains and ended up writing about it historically. Um, he notes that there were many men, you know, it, it is a balance. not just men out there. There's people of all types out on the mountains. Um, but they're examining the writings and how they were constructing this concept of getting to the top. And it's it's quite imperialist, was the conclusion in that book. Um, a key quote is from another popular work called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. So I'm just going to read the quote, and I think it gets to the heart of it. Um, As Krakauer explains in his past, climbing was a way of gaining purpose in life, a purpose intimately tied to a conception of virile, meaning masculine, strong sex drive. Individualist masculinity. As he explains, 
quote, the culture of ascent was characterized by intense competition and undiluted machismo. For the most part, its constituents were concerned with impressing only one another by trying increasingly difficult routes and by free soloing, which is this climbing without ropes, which I don't do. I'm just kind of a hiker, a 14er hiker kind of person, but it's, it's, it's an insane concept to think about. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought up like John Krakauer because he even has like books like Into the Wild that's like super famous. That's like, I guess, like college graduate dude that like just like goes out into the wild and lives lives off the wild like this, like like the expectations that this man can do it. And then like I was thinking about like what happens if a woman was living in the wild? Like is that is there any expectation that she would survive compared to him? So that's like super fascinating, too, that you brought up John Krakauer. As an author, I think what struck me was the concept of individualism as it relates to masculinity, right? Like there's a mantra of we have to be able to do things on our own. Um, we have to like independently go about our business. And from the very little that I know of actual like mountaineering and stuff like that is it's incredibly dangerous to do it by yourself. Like you shouldn't ever, ever do it by yourself. So I'm wondering if you can talk to a little bit that that contradiction of Yes, there's like, there's no mountains that are named like Long's and Meeker Peak, right? It's just Long's Peak. I also wonder who's taking credit. I also wonder like, you know, there's no way that these, well, maybe there's no way that these white men specifically could get to the top of these mountains and buried native lands. And I think there's not just a masculine quality to this concept of dominating nature, but a very Western and American philosophy around climbing peaks and finding the most difficult route and one-upping each other in the community to be like, yeah, look what I did versus what you did, right? Yeah, I think you're hitting it right there. Um, in terms of mountaineering, getting to the top is a team effort. So much so that if you're in a partnership climbing, someone has to hold you while you climb and take the risk on the rope. And then you have to hold that person behind you to get up and finish. Um, in terms of hiking 14ers, it's not as intense, but there is a, it's a team effort because I typically am on a trail. That trail didn't come from anywhere. You know, I didn't make that trail. Someone had to make that for me to get up. So um, it's it's a group effort no matter how you slice it. And it's weird that it became in this world kind of this macho thing of getting to the top and doing it yourself. If I think about the roots of why this is a thing worth talking about for Do You Even Lift Bro, the very concept of dominating nature, I think, is it shows up everywhere so it's like almost separated from this sense of accomplishment now of because i think it's very real like i think it's an incredible feeling to stand at the top of a mountain and look out across the landscape and be like holy crap like i did this i trained for this i prepared for this and it finally happened for this moment like there's a real sense of joy and awesomeness to that that i don't think we should necessarily minimize and i think that's important to acknowledge and what we i think want to try to center around this podcast is how does it then translate to the way masculinity is constructed in, in the social world, right? So when I think about Dr. Pepper commercials or shaving commercials, and then there's random like people in a bear costume, for example, in a shaving commercial, that I think is another element of this concept of having control or dominion over nature. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what I wanted to kind of go into or I only know my experiences in the mountain. It's different for everyone, but I have a couple examples of what we're talking about. So after I kind of read these this book and took took a look at other resources about mountaineering in general, um, I started using this skill from Men in the Movement called tracking. So it's kind of a way to take it, data for yourself about how you're perceiving 
people doing things. And so I took it to the trail. Um, one thing, so I have two trackings to share with you. The first one is a hundred percent of the people I see cutting the trail, which means taking, you know, a route in between switchbacks that's not established have been men. And so that's data I'm taking. I've never observed someone I perceive to be a woman doing this cutting of the trail. So that's an interesting data point. Um, and then going into the more safety of rock climbing, uh, of the kind of incidents where I've spoken up to someone I don't know, a stranger, kind of this nervous situation for me that I think is doing something unsafe. hundred percent of those are people I perceive to be men too. So the example of that is one dude was um, up on Long's Peak and throwing rocks off the backside. This was incredibly dangerous because there are trails all around Long's Peak and those rocks gain velocity and can kill when they get to the bottom. So something I spoke up and said, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Um, I didn't say quite politely like that, but... um, (laughs) But yeah, and then the others have been for just poor attention or technique when belaying. So when you're hooked into someone and helping them get up the mountain with a rope, if you're not paying attention or if you're doing something rambunctious, it's not a good plan because even if it's a route you've climbed a lot before, one slip and fall and you're not paying attention, you're both likely going to get some sort of injury. Yeah, that's fascinating. I also think like, where did those like behaviors and like, where did, where does that come from? Do you like have any like background within this to know where that comes from or do you think it's just like inherently just a gendered like a gendered thing i think it's a mental kind of focus thing and so everyone's going to have some attention problems where you know this is an intense activity and you're you know maybe wanting to throw a rock to pass the time but um, i found it interesting that those trackings were all people that i perceived to be men Um, what i'm thinking it's about is some of the things we've already been talking about where we're dominating nature we're having so much fun that you know, we don't even, safety is not even really entering it for us because we've just got that under control already. What do you think about like harm in that sort of sense, like to men themselves or to others? Like where does, where does harm kind of fit into that? Yeah. So for me, I'll kind of embark on this personal anecdote here. Um, I climb primarily with a, a, another dude, another guy named Ruben. And he, I've found it personally, it's a very slippery slope to check my hypermasculinity when getting up there and mountaineering. The harm piece is a motivator because it's fun. It's a little risky, but you get this feeling of like summit fever. I want to get to the top. I want to, you know, it's exciting. And I'm a super able-bodied person and also capable of navigating the mountaineering. So risk often takes a back seat in my mind. Overall, my partner Ruben and I are really safe climbers. Our risk assessment practices are really good. You know, we do our sunscreen, our sunglasses, our harnesses, everything in place. And we do those checks before we start on the wall. Um, but it took time to get there. And it was mostly on my side where I was kind of lagging. Ruben is a much stronger climber than myself, more experienced, basically can get up almost anything. It's incredible. So I was forced with this situation where he's going up. Should I go up or not? Given how I was feeling that day, given how, you know, I was willing to take that risk. Um, so here's an example. We rolled up to this place called Maplewood Canyon near Nephi, Utah. So it's an area known for these big chunks of conglomerate rock. So it kind of looks like you're climbing up poorly mixed concrete. We parked there. Neither of us had been there before and we perceived two other men climbing near us. And we thought, oh, let's get started in this area. So the route turned out to be really, really rough. You know, we weren't quite expecting it. Ruben could manage it, but I fell. I was on belay on the rope, but I fell off the rock over and over again on this part that was a ceiling with 
really kind of loose rock that didn't seem like something I could get over. After an hour of this, I gave up. Um, and then the other men that had been climbing came over to us and said, well, this isn't really the established climbing area of Maplewood Canyon. Uh, that's 15 minutes up the road, guys. So it was this kind of thing where I sized up the situation, uh, took off more harm than I probably should have, thinking I better keep up with my partner. I want to know then, Alex, what do you think is the function of taking risks in the context of masculinity? Like why would we assign taking risks or being fearless or doing things that are unsafe seems to be more of a masculine characteristic? I relate that in my head to control, you know, this, this feature that comes up, it rears its ugly head in relationships, of course, but maybe another type of thinking of it is as controlling the situation, you know, Mm. um, there's no expectation that weakness is going to even come into your equation in the mountains. So, you know, why even really talk about it? Um, and what ended up happening with Ruben and I was, you know, we had some of these situations I felt uncomfortable and at some point I just swallowed my pride, so to speak. And, Got to a point where I would say, hey, Ruben, you know, I'm not going to man up, you know, man, I can't get up that. So I have to I have to announce that. And we'd try a different route, for example, but took time for me. Okay, yeah. And I think that's really important to sort of recognize is I wonder if this concept of risk taking happens for men when they're alone, right? Like is taking risks or potentially showing off, for example, only happen in the presence of other people? And then what function does that serve, right? Like, I feel like every risk that we take serves as a function to prove ourselves to somebody or something or someone. Um, And I wonder if mountaineering and climbing and hiking is one of those locations where that just kind of shows up more often than not, right? And it's interesting to hear you talk about, like, I tried this really crappy wall for an hour because I was too afraid to admit that I couldn't do it. As your relationship with Ruben uh, developed, the more you trusted him and the more he trusted you, the easier then it became, what, vulnerable to say, hey, you know what, I can't do this. Let's try something else. You know, I do think I can remember times in my life where I was alone and I would take a risk, right? Like I felt like I needed to prove something to myself more than I ever had to prove to anyone else anything, you know what I mean? And reflecting back on it, it was, I just always, like, I challenge anyone to look back in their life and not have a moment where they go, God, that was so stupid. You know what I mean? Like I have plenty of those <laughs> moments. Um, and most of the ones that I can laugh about today relate to, I think me trying to impress other people, but the ones were like, I was in kind of serious danger, maybe like, Things where I'm like, not less, I was, I was less, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And more, man, I don't know what the hell I was thinking at that moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like also maybe challenging people that are listening to reflect on, do you even remember much of those moments when you tried to take a risk for yourself rather than others? Like, I don't think I can remember as many risks that I took for myself that were like impactful that I can think about now, but I can think about risks I took for others to see or for others to feel uh, different. So, yeah, I'm glad you're talking about vulnerability, vulnerability, and I'm glad we're talking about kind of this individual thing because um, I have another story to relate. And at the end of it, I think I'll be tying it back to some of the the dominant identities that I hold, masculinity and able-bodiedness there, that it's, it's so inherent and I'm so trained over the years to do these things that I often don't question why. 
So the background to the story is no one likes to be in the high country during a storm. Uh, but many people that hike and mountaineer have stories of when it happened for some reason. So here's mine. So the year is 2008. I've two seasons under my belt of hiking mountains, you know, starting to get some experience and a nice string of Colorado 14er summits together that year. So I decided, oh, I'm feeling strong. It was time to push the limits. Um, so setting off with uh, this at 12 a.m. in the morning, you know, I slept at the trailhead and woke up in my car um, with this rough goal of how many summits can I reach in a 24-hour period. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so, so my first fuck up was understanding like this was a goal and, and doing it, undertaking it by myself. So I'm sleeping up there at the trailhead by myself in my car and there's mountaineering roughly rule of three, you know, three people is, is sort of the minimum group size that you want to really undertake some of these risks. And I had completely ignored this. Um, the reason behind the rule of three is, have you seen the movie 27 hours? Nope. Nope. Okay. Guy gets stuck in a canyon, didn't tell anyone where he's going, had to kind of like cut his own arm off. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Should have started with cut his arm off. That's the, that's the bro interpretation of that (laughs) that story. There we go. (laughs) Ah, bro. Oh yeah. I've seen that movie. Yeah. Anyway, so these things happen and and they're kind of strange. So, so my story then continues on from 12 AM through hail and darkness. I summited, I was over at this park called Kite Lake off of Colorado nine near Breckenridge. Um, I summited Lincoln, a, a little sub summit there called Cameron Democrat and another mountain called Bross. So bunch you know, of my names. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so then, uh, at five 30 to six 30 AM, I find myself furiously driving down South again towards this place called Jennings Creek trailhead and it's past the light of, So this was a substantial drive, you know, and I'm a little, you know, tired, you know, but there's more risk coming uh, This was just part of it. Um, it's a mountain on the end of the Southern Sawatch range. Uh, here you can take a nine mile round trip and you can summit a mountain called Tabawash and also Shavano or Shavano peak. Um, but my car is old and it wouldn't make it to that particular trailhead. So I re-navigated to a different one that could access the same peaks and the trip was 12 miles round trip. So I, you know, had assessed this risk of taking off three more miles, um, because my car was broke down. So I get started around 8.15 a.m., later, much later than I would start any of this activity nowadays. Um, and by 11.30 a.m., I was a little bit delirious, kind of at the half, getting towards the halfway point of my 24-hour goal. And I made the decision from the summit of Chavano to go over to Tabawash. So you have to go over and return back um, to get down. On the return trip, for me, a storm hit, hail and lightning, the whole ball of wax. Um, I ended up having to take the terrifying action of huddling, uh, exposed with my head in my hands, elbows on my knees, so as to circuit the lightning away from my heart, but you know, goes through your brain. So, um, and I actually watched as lightning struck three quarters mile, three quarters of a mile distant on the summit of a sub summit called Brown's Peak. It was scary, loud, bright. Um, I was kind of counting the minutes between the thunder, hoping you know it would stop and I could continue on safely. Um, and I was exhausted, and I was wondering a little bit at this point about kind of divine intervention. You know, what, what does this mean? And um, I ended up getting down, you know, I, I wasn't struck. Thankfully, I abandoned my 24 hour quest after I got down at 4 15 PM. Sounds um, like a good call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in the conclusion of this, uh, the, my fatigue and this kind of weird inherent obsession with proving my masculinity against the mountain, um, it led me into this kind of this veritable dice game with my life. Lightning can strike you, and and many people, in fact, um, have fatalities on the mountain from from lightning strikes. So, 
Um, later on, I kind of learned that my challenge was very small. Um, many mountaineers, experienced mountaineers, have summited all of these 58 or so peaks in under 14 days. Um, some dogs have some summited them all. And so I was kind of thinking about that and it actually hurt me more that I had to kind of abandon my challenge and that my challenge had been so small. You know, I, I didn't take any smartness from this. Only through reflection, through men in the movement, I was able to see this as anything but kind of a stupid failure. Um, and now I see it as kind of a stupid learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> a lucky one. Yeah, and lucky, yeah. <laughs> So kind of in conclusion from both those stories and the relevant thing uh, for me was as a mentee, you know, and beyond in men in the movement, um, my personal battle has been a lot with vulnerability, you know, expressing it, feeling it, um, understanding why it matters. Uh, I think through that work and doing that stuff, I've changed my mind from why should I be vulnerable when I align with virtually all the dominant identities to understanding the importance of getting those feelings out there. Um, these stories have just been an example of how it's tied into like the risk I'm taking, but you know, it's very important in other aspects of life too. And furthermore, seeing how much of a challenge it is for me to still do it, especially when there's these summits at stake, you know, turning around has started, I've, I have to start telling myself this is an achievement too, you know, turning around and making good decisions is, is an achievement for sure. Um, makes me a better mountaineer. It's all like legit how like close were you to losing your life up there? I mean, it's hard to know lightning, you know, it's a very hard physical phenomenon to kind of predict, but you look, you know, three quarters of a mile away from you and see this kind of ball of lightning on the mountain on top. And you kind of wonder, um, the risks with thunder and lightning are getting hit. Obviously ground lightning can come and kind of zap you <laughs> through, especially water on the ground. Um, but also rocks and things have dislodged folks and trapped them, pinned them, mm. Um, so I would have been in a similar situation as 20, Mr. 27 hours where, you know, I, I might've been hurt or stuck by myself without a good kind of communication of where I was and how to get rescued. Do you think like, this is kind of like, a, I guess, metaphorically, was your journey through like masculinity and climbing through this like lightning storm, like kind of balancing whether like your failure had to do with your masculinity or your success had to do with your masculinity, but like you knew for a fact, like this was super dangerous to the point of like, it was not worth it. Part of my motivation is just kind of the, the raw experience and the physicality of it. Um, and that's definitely tied to masculinity. So the fact that I turned around was this breaking point in my own physicality that was fun to know about, um, in that context, but also the, the fact that other people had succeeded where I had failed was, you know, it kind of hurt, which is a strange thing to think about. And what, what does that mean? Yeah. I think the attachment to masculinity and the physical body is something worth digging into in the sense that I'm not sure if losing emotionality started that, or if putting value in the physicality then resulted in the loss of emotionality in the human being, right? So when I think about the man box again and the way that we're shaped as men, I it's impossible to separate them at this point, I think. Um, but I do think the concept of men maybe feeling some sort of loss and one of the ways that they regain that loss is to dominate nature or conquer uh, mountains. Yeah, and another thing, I'm not sure how this ties in, but it's this concept that... I myself and other 
uh, male friends that I have really like to have good stories to tell each other of, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Of things that we did or didn't do or, you know, things that happened. So, so I'm sure in my mind at the time I had this concept of what a great story this is going to make. And it has made a good story, but maybe not in the way that I had intended. (laughs) Around the campfire with a beer in your hand? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fascinating. I think about like how like men like to talk about their like bro trips. Like, like, oh yeah, I went like paintballing and motorcycling and all this like stuff that you is like inherently could like harm you but like it's so fascinating to the point of like oh yeah like i just rubbed some dirt in it and kept going um so what are some thoughts around i guess like uh dominating nature but also these like kind of like stories and like bro trips like something that you have to kind of laugh about and like something that's so so scary to people but like also like this thing it's like almost like a ritual for men i mean when I kind of think about it, there's a lot of tough stories of humans surviving things. Um, me, myself, from a very privileged background, don't have too many of those types of survivor stories. And so is it me looking for a way to create something that was hard for myself in order to kind of identify with being a survivor of something? I, I don't know if that about what that's about, but it's also this measuring concept of, you know, I'm going to measure my masculinity around the campfire with yours. And that's actually a tangible thing somehow. And we can decide who's, you know, going to get the best marshmallow. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> my fish was this big, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> I, um, yeah. I was thinking about how you kind of talked about, like I caught one this big. There's even jokes of like, do you hear the one, like the joke of like the one armed fisherman? And then they measure how long with a freaking arm of like how mu- how they how they actually caught the fish. So it was like interesting how like we even joke about how masculinity is portrayed with even like ability as well. So that's something that just crossed my mind quick like quickly. It might not be irre- be relevant to what we're talking. Have faith about, in yourself, Jake. It's relevant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and another point in terms of the fish story is my grandpa is a great one. He up in the Libby Dam area around Montana, he says there was a lot of chum in the water. A lot of fish would get killed in front of the dam, and then he would go and catch a fish that was, you know, this big. And uh, I think, you know, it's a a fish story, but there's a reason. It's like a tradition of masculinity that perpetuates. And a lot of times I'm talking about how I'm not sure why I'm doing these things, but, you know, grandfathers and fathers and are, are passing down these things. And so we have to think about what that means. Yeah, and I wonder what um, different shapes that my fish is this big has taken over the years. You know what I mean? Like when I think about football records or any records in sports or the Guinness Book of World Records or um, there's a group on YouTube called Do Perfect who are always kind of trying to up one-up themselves. Um, and even in like porn, I don't know, this is probably in the weeds a little bit, but like all of it is honestly a euphemism for how big my dick is, right? So like, yeah, I think it's an interesting avenue in which to talk about traditional masculinity all right with that with all that said um i think we want to get into talking about alex a little bit more how about you jake yeah for sure i want to know more more about you dude talk to us a little bit about like yes mountaineering but what is your journey through masculinity here like what landed you in the studio today um i definitely connected up with jake and carl um as as friends and men in the movement so the group and you know coming together and working with other male identified students and they were able to let me in the group. I'm a student, I'm a graduate student. So um, I was able to participate in that group 
um, that's where I really kind of started unpacking and the core thinking about, you know, what, what was it for me to be a man? Um, how does that compare with society? Um, and most of all, what I should do with it. What were some of the things that some of the messages you got growing up that sort of informed like, oh, I should probably join this group? Yeah. Um, for me growing up, athletics was central to life. You know, I, I was a soccer player in high school, um, about any sport before that you could find me playing. Um, my father is an enormous athlete. He was kind of this Nike sponsored runner at the age of 28, um, just running. And, and so it's a culture thing that I grew up with, um, in terms of people challenging their bodies to go really, really fast. Mm. And, and there's, there's men and women in all the groups that we run with, but, um, the men, especially, you know, it's something you think about, um, going through athletics growing up. And with the athletics, was this something that you loved to do, something that you like had a joy for, or is it kind of put upon you? A mix of both. You know, sometimes I was having a blast, but um, soccer especially, and I know, Carl, you were a soccer player, you get hurt sometimes, and that's when it starts to be unfun. Um, I was all about soccer, and then I started messing up my ankles and twisting them and, and hamstrings and things. And I still tried to be all about soccer when I wasn't so excited about it anymore because I was in physical pain. Um, so yeah, once you get to that threshold of hurting then it's no fun anymore. (laughs) In what ways has your idea of masculinity or what you think it means to be a man or how, how do you like, in what ways have that shifted from the beginning of maybe your college career to, to today? And I'm, you're still in your college career. So yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's certain kind of like existence, like thinking about it. Like I, I've spent more time thinking about it instead of just being a dude and doing dude things. Um, so that self-reflection, I've been given tools through the men in the movement program about what to look for and, and why to look at it. Um, I've always kind of starting in college, been interested in the social justice kind of thing. Um, doing volunteering and stuff. I have a core understanding of why it matters um, and where that comes from. That's been consistent throughout college, but it's been more meaningful to me as I've moved through the years um, in terms of actually reflecting about that, that if I make choices and I role model differently as a man, for example, I could have an impact on another man that maybe isn't thinking about it so much and might therefore be doing harm. With that, was there like a time that you were like, I, this is like, this work is for me or this work is something I need to do where there's, was there like a kind of like a moment or a time in your life that you were like, well, I need, I need to look into this more or think about this more. Yeah. One of my volunteering experiences at CSU, there's so many, it's easy to get connected up was, uh, with, um, the, the Crossroads safe house. So at this time it was this hidden location, Um, It was kind of an interesting thing. I didn't know much about domestic violence. Um, There was a training that I went through uh, and it became very intense and it became a very salient issue for what I was thinking about as being like a socially conscious college student at CSU. Through that training, it was talking about, you know, the real impacts of men that aren't necessarily thinking about what, what control, what their control in a relationship is doing to the other person. Um, I remember pretty intense times of them playing a recording during that training of a domestic violence call where, you know, the kind of the core message there is here's a woman calling in 911 and terrified and in danger 
for the sole reason that someone else was kind of perpetrating acts of violence on them, kind of related at its core to power and control. Those situations are just kind of really hellish to think about for the victims. And that just, you know, it seems once you know and kind of understand, have that experience, I won't turn back now as sort of an advocate for those folks and doing what I can. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, is there any work that you're doing now that's kind of relevant to Crossroads? Are you still working there? Like what, what are some things that you're working with that maybe is also like helping out in thinking about your healthy masculinity? Yeah. Another great question. I've kind of, I'm in a PhD program now. So my focus in life is a lot of PhD type things where I do a lot of math and process a lot of data. So I've kind of brought the advocacy part of my life inward a bit. Um, My partner and how I've kind of started using some of this masculinity stuff is supporting her, being an advocate for her, someone on the really the front lines and child protection. She sees a lot of domestic violence cases. Um, It's really hard work. She has some pretty horrible stories at the end of the day. And so if I'm able to kind of listen to those and throw back some support, empathy for sure in the situation, uh, I feel like I've done a little bit that day. Um, And so, you know, my hope is that someday I won't, I will stop doing so much mathematics and working with data that I'll be able to then again, have another volunteer experience that's maybe a little more out in the community. Um, But for now, the way I kind of push into it is, is advocating for, for my partner. Oh, Alex, thank you so much for sharing, man. Like we really appreciate your stories. We think that's really important for those kinds of stories to get out there. And so we really appreciate the fact that you're willing to share with us here today. And we would like to move into some rapid fire questions, man. You ready for this? So ready. (laughs) (laughs) So why mathematics? Why the maths? Uh, It's just beautiful. It just really is. Um, It takes some time. (laughs) It takes some time to understand why, but uh, I I love it. You know, I have crazy theories that relate back to the mountains. You know, you can fit a mountain range with basic collection of sine and cosine functions, which is interesting. And you have to think about what it means. But at the same note, once you zoom into the mountains and see all the rocks, that sort of fit gets really poor. Uh, you can't really get towards that infinity of functions that you would need to to fit the mountains. Um, so concepts like that always keep calling me back to math. Uh, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word squishy? A ball. Like what? A, like a ball. <laughs> Did you just say thought, my ball? I thought you no, said something else. Not, not my balls. Jeez. <laughs> a ball, like a Nerf ball. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's like, do you know what podcast you're on, bro? Like, come on. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. If you could time travel for a day, where would you go? And also, when would you go? Um, I would travel back to any place where there was no established currency. Uh, I mean, this could be anywhere, I suppose, maybe like the jungle somewhere where people were just collecting goods and trading them and there was no money, you know, no coins. Not that people were poor, but just... I'm fascinated by the systems that would be in place in this time and place where, you know, no one was kind of earning a living in that way, but maybe trading or exchanging their skills. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) If you were to have another skill in your like repertoire, what, what would it be? Uh, I'd like to be able to code in a programming language called R. Um, It's just something I always have this goal and it always seems to be on my to-do list, but, uh, you know, honestly, there's nothing there. I can't do a single darn thing. <laughs> if you had to choose between shaving your beard and your hair, which one would you do? Mm, I'd probably 
go for the hair. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> was not was not ready for that one. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for our rapid fire section. And thank you so much for Alex for being here. My pleasure, Carl and Jake. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for, for being here again, man. Um, we appreciate you. And we also appreciate the time that you're taking out to be with us as well. So that'll do it for the episode of Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University for allowing this podcast to actually happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Check him out. Deuces. <laughs>